This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, 81-year-old Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is recovering in a hospital, this after an accident at a hotel in Washington. With over a million illegal immigrants released into the U.S., the policy critics call catch and release is under fire. A U.S. district judge ruled on the Biden administration order yesterday. Another train derailment, this one in West Virginia. Several crew members were injured after a freight train struck a rock slide. The country of Georgia drops a proposed law that opponents say would restrict media freedom. That after two nights of violent protests in the country and more than 60 arrests. And summer travel season is coming up. We found out where everybody is going this year and have some tips on how you can avoid the crowds. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. It's Thursday today, March 9th, and we start today's news with Senator Mitch McConnell. He's in the hospital after a serious fall. The Senate Minority Leader tripped at a hotel in Washington, D.C. last night during a private dinner. McConnell's office didn't give details about his condition or how long he will be absent from the Senate. In recent weeks, he's the third senator to be hospitalized. That's along with Senator Dianne Feinstein, who is recovering from a bout of shingles, and Senator John Fetterman, who is seeking treatment for depression. Senator McConnell also fell at his Kentucky home in 2019, fracturing his shoulder. McConnell is 81 this year and is the Senate's longest-serving GOP leader. He was first elected to the U.S. Senate in 1984. A Biden administration border policy was dealt a heavy blow yesterday. A federal judge ruled what critics refer to as catch and release illegal. U.S. District Judge T. Kent Wetherell ruled on Wednesday that alternatives to detention, also known as the catch and release policy, violates federal law. This is the practice of releasing illegal immigrants rather than holding them until their cases are resolved. The policy started in the early 2000s but has been used more frequently under the Biden administration. The Biden administration has released more than one million illegal immigrants into the U.S. through this program. Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody, a Republican, sued the government in 2021 over the policy. Biden administration officials claimed they had the discretion not to hold immigrants and that Florida lacked standing. The judge wrote in the ruling, quote, the evidence establishes that defendants have effectively turned the southwest border into a meaningless line in the sand and little more than a speed bump for aliens flooding into the country. The judge vacated the policy and remanded it back to the government for further work. Moody reacted to the ruling, saying in a statement, Today's ruling affirms what we have known all along. President Biden is responsible for the border crisis, and his unlawful immigration policies make this country less safe. Federal officials did not respond to requests for comment. The ruling was stayed for seven days to allow the government time to appeal. Over 100 children and teen migrants were flown home to Guatemala yesterday. The unaccompanied minors were found in an abandoned truck trailer in Mexico on Monday. 
The flight to Guatemala City brought back 106 youths aged 12 to 17. They had been traveling without family. An official at Guatemala's Migration Institute says it's concerning that the number of returns of children and teenagers is increasing. She says many are teenage boys with only primary school education. One of the boys says he tried to leave because he was frustrated by the lack of schooling in his hometown. He says he will probably try again soon. The return of the unaccompanied minors to the Central American country is one of the largest in recent times. The Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, is the biggest threat to U.S. national security and leadership globally. That's according to the U.S. Director of National Intelligence. The assertion was made at a Senate hearing on global security threats yesterday. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on testimonies from top intelligence officials. Hearing to order. Top intelligence officials shared what they think are the major threats to national security on Wednesday. The CCP topped the list. Senators expressed concerns about quickly evolving technology from around the world, and if the U.S. is able to keep up with the threats to national security innovation brings. Senator Marco Rubio, the vice chairman of the committee, asked about the social media app TikTok and the threats it poses. FBI Director Christopher Wray affirmed the CCP could use TikTok to control software on millions of devices given the opportunity, as well as control the data on millions of users. Could they use it to drive narratives, uh, like to divide Americans against each other? For example, let's say China wants to invade Taiwan to make sure that Americans are seeing videos arguing why Taiwan belongs to China and why the U.S. should not intervene? Yes, and I would make the point on that last one in particular that we're not sure that we would see many of the outward signs of it happening if it was happening. Rubio feels TikTok is probably one of the best surveillance tools on the planet. We've invited them in and protected them by our laws. So I, I don't understand why this company is allowed to operate. Ray pointed out the difference between the private and public sectors in the U.S., but he says that line doesn't exist for the CCP in the way that it operates. He says technology and economic security have become inextricably intertwined with national security. On the cyber side, our critical infrastructure is in 85% of it or something is in the hands of the private sector. And if you look at our innovation, if you look at our PII, our personal identifiable information, the percentage is even higher. And if you look at what the Chinese are trying to steal, that's where it is. Senator Mark Warner, the chairman of the committee, questioned the national security implications if China is able to lead the way in areas like 5G, rare earth mineral extraction, and biotech innovation. He honed in on U.S. corporations' investment in China. Too many of our, uh, of our corporate world still believes that, um, uh, that these collaborations inside of China are, are benign, uh, even though when they turn a blind eye to the literally unprecedented amounts of intellectual property theft, uh, too often because they're making way too much money on investing in China tech. Senator John Cornyn raised the issue of the U.S. financing its number one adversary and helping them grow their military strength. He says a lack of transparency makes the problem hard to gauge. Avril Haines, the director of national intelligence, says a system should be put in place to create transparency around U.S. investment in China. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The U.S. House Homeland Security Subcommittee on Counterterrorism, Law Enforcement and Intelligence is holding a hearing today. It will focus on countering threats from the CCP. We will be live streaming the hearing on our website. It starts at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. You can watch it at ntd.com live. Now turning our attention to Taiwan, 
residents of Taiwan's outlying islands near the Chinese coast have been without Internet for the past month. Taiwan authorities say Chinese ships are responsible. Taiwan's National Communications Commission said two Chinese vessels cut the submarine internet cables connecting Taiwan's outlying Matsu Islands to Taiwan's main island. The Matsu Islands are home to around 14,000 residents, and they rely on the two undersea cables to connect to the outside world. The owner of a bed and breakfast says the loss of internet service is having an impact on his business. After the submarine cables were cut off, many customers chose to cancel their reservations for March and April. I think at this moment, about 10 to 20 percent of reservations have been canceled. Taiwan authorities found two Chinese ships in the locations of the cuts based on automated identification system data. They said one was a fishing vessel and the other a cargo ship, but authorities stopped short of calling it a deliberate act on the part of the Chinese regime. We can't rule out that China destroyed these on purpose, because the U.S. Navy research shows that the countries in the world capable of destroying or tapping submarine cables are Russia and China. A major Taiwanese telecom provider has set up microwave transmission as backup for the residents, but the service is extremely slow compared to regular Internet. The head of Lianqiang County, which covers the Matsu Islands, has asked for help from Taipei. He also discussed the cables on a recent visit to China. Relevant units in China are willing to help. The deputy general manager of China Mobile also attended the meeting. He sent a group of technicians to help. The earliest cable-laying ships can come is April 20th because there are a limited number of vessels that can do the job. For now, the only thing residents can do is wait. Australia's Prime Minister has confirmed he will meet with President Biden and the UK's Prime Minister. The meeting is set for Monday in San Diego. They are expected to unveil a submarine plan. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese was speaking at a news conference in India on Thursday. Three sources familiar with the plan say it will include the Australian purchase of at least four nuclear-powered Virginia-class submarines from the U.S. The sources said Australia is also expected to work with the U.K. on developing a new class of nuclear-powered submarine, which could include U.S. parts. Prime Minister Albanese says Australia will retain 100 percent sovereignty in controlling the subs. Georgia's ruling party has announced it is dropping a bill after two nights of violent protests in the country's capital. Thousands took to the streets to protest a proposed law that they say stifles media freedom. Police in the Georgian capital used water cannons and tear gas to disperse demonstrators around the parliament building. Entity's Kostemines has more on the story. Demonstrations in Georgia's capital, Tbilisi, are in their second day. Local media footage shows violence in the streets, cars being tipped over and fires being lit on barricades. Police responded with tear gas and a water cannon. Injuries were reported on both sides. More than 60 protesters were arrested outside parliament. Opponents say the law may obstruct Georgia's intention of joining NATO and the European Union in the future. Protest leaders on Wednesday urged demonstrators to prevent lawmakers from returning to the building until the measure is withdrawn. In Wednesday's evening address, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky voiced his support to the Georgian protesters. 
anti-Russian sentiment is rife in Georgia, following long-standing Russian support for two separatist regions, as well as a brief Russian invasion of the country in 2008. Kost Hemenes, NTD News. Just ahead, a train derailment in West Virginia. Multiple locomotives derailed and several crew members were injured after a freight train struck a rock slide. As Californians are still digging their way out of snow, the state is expecting more snow and even rain. We have their situation right after the break. Welcome back. A CSX Corporation freight train derailed, derailed early on Wednesday after it struck a rock slide in Sandstone, West Virginia. Three crew members were injured and diesel fuel spilled into a nearby river. CSX said all four of the train's locomotives and 22 empty coal cars derailed. The lead locomotive had three crew members on board. They are being treated for non-life-threatening injuries. CSX said there were no hazardous materials being transported by the train and the incident posed no danger to the public. However, the lead locomotive did catch fire because of some of the diesel fuel that leaked out. Environmental teams were deployed and containment booms were used to clean up the leaked fuel. Californians are still digging their way out from several feet of snow after the powerful winter storms, with some residents confined to their homes for more than a week. Some areas in the mountains saw 16 feet of snow over the last two weeks. Let's take a look at the situation there. After a blizzard swept through Southern California mountains, residents are still digging their way out. Probably about a million cubic yards to dig out. It's, it's a daunting task. There's quite a bunch of them here. I think there's about eight or 10 of them or more and uh, they're gonna try to shovel a pathway so I can at least get out to the street. The 79-year-old found himself shut inside his home with snow blocking the door and stairway out. We shoveled quite a bit of it out here already. This was up over 10 feet. My door was completely covered. We had no way of getting out of here and that was getting a little spooky. Luckily, he and his wife had enough food to get through the 10 days until volunteer rescuers arrived. But some residents in Crestline, California, weren't that lucky. So some of these people have been homebound for 11 days. They've run out of food. They, in some cases, don't have power. They don't have their own generators. Even those who can get out find supplies limited. People are lining up to pick up boxes of donated food. And some stores are seeing nearly empty shelves. The powerful storm left snow piled high above many homes' first floor windows, knocked out power to thousands of homes, buried roads, and left many stranded. An elderly man was rescued after nearly a week alone in his car, stuck in a snowbank on a desolate California highway. The 81-year-old says he survived on candy and croissants he had in his car and rolled down his window occasionally to eat snow. With only a light windbreaker, a quilt, and a bath towel to keep himself warm, Miraculously, he showed no signs of hypothermia and was discharged from that hospital just hours after being admitted. Still, some people managed to have some fun, like this kayaker sledding off the roof in South Lake Tahoe. As the state continues to dig out from the previous storms, more snow is on the way. Some parts of the Sierra Nevada mountain range could get one to six feet of additional snow. And on top of that, another atmospheric river is about to hit. 
Some 16 million people across central and northern California could expect rain on top of snow, making navigation out of an already tight situation possibly even more treacherous. The 1-2 weather punch could begin late Thursday and last through the weekend. Imagine being trapped in your car on a remote snowy road with no cell service. Your family's out of the country and no one knows where you are. That's a situation one Oregon man found himself in, but he had something most people don't, a drone. So he typed a text to a friend saying where he was, then attached a cell phone to the drone and sent it up several hundred feet. That was enough for it to pick up a signal, and rescuers were then sent out to find him. And while they were there, they also found another motorist who had been stranded for several days. In Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis is speaking out again. He's reacting to criticism that his administration is banning books from school libraries. Teachers who display or give a student a book deemed unallowed could face up to five years in prison. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Wednesday pushed back on the claim that Florida schools are emptying their libraries. We've uh, heard different things put out. There was a Duval County school video where they took a, a video of empty bookshelves and they say the state of Florida doesn't want books. You know, they're trying to censor books and all this stuff. Turned out that was a hoax. Turned out that individual who did that in the school system was fired. Last year, Florida enacted a series of new laws that banned critical race theory, gender theory, and other ideologies rooted in Marxism from schools. The laws also require schools to be transparent about the selection of their library and reading materials. DeSantis said legacy media are trying to create a political narrative. That's a false narrative in service of using our schools uh, for indoctrination rather than education. And we've drawn a very firm line in the sand in Florida about that. Uh, we believe in, in strong, rigorous education. We believe in the rights of parents to be involved in the education of their children and therefore have enacted curriculum transparency legislation. The new laws require school districts to report the number of books being removed. The latest figures show that 23 school districts across Florida reported removing 175 books, which were identified as problematic. You know, I think a lot of districts never had any problem, right? I mean, I think, but, but some did. 87% of the books that were identified as school districts um, as being problematic, um, they were pornographic, violent, or inappropriate for the grade level in some other manner. DeSantis emphasized that the new laws aim to protect Florida children from age-inappropriate content, and he argued that schools should get back to the basics. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Coming up, summer travel season is coming up. We found out what, where everybody is going this year and have some tips on how you can avoid the crowds. Summer travel season is coming up. Where is everyone going this year and how can you avoid the crowds? I spoke to McLean Robbins. She's a travel expert and the owner of Lily Pond Luxury Travel. I generally recommend to my travelers that if they're going to a city, you may find deals last minute. But if you're planning a resort style vacation or any sort of important bucket list trip, the earlier the better. 
quite frankly, that year mark, right when reservations will open up, or that 10-month mark when reservations are going to open up for your airfare, is a great time to start checking and baselining your prices. Things like Google Flights often offer alerts so that you can track and see if rates are going up or down, but in general, the early bird does get the trip. Your most economical things, like your most economical rooms and your most economical seats, are going to go first. And so if you wait until the end and you want a large suite, for example, at a hotel, your price not, may not change. But if you're looking for that standard room or that best available rate, you're probably going to be better off the sooner that you book. Where will Americans be traveling this summer mostly? And is there any you know, secret destination tips that you think are often overlooked? Sure. Um, what I think is just incredible is that we really have seen the American traveler return to Europe. So based on data from Virtuoso year to date, Paris is the most common destination for travelers this summer or the most wish list destination. We're also seeing cities like London and New York make a huge comeback. You have major cities in the U.S. like Vegas, Miami, Washington, D.C., all on that list as well, and perennial favorites like Rome and Nassau in the Bahamas. Um, while there are any number of destinations that you can find a great deal, I always recommend looking at secondary cities and shoulder season to offer great options. So, for example, if you have done Italy and you loved the Amalfi Coast, which is one of the most coveted and in-demand and expensive destinations in the world, perhaps you should try Portugal, which also has great culture, beautiful beaches, and a nice alternative. Or perhaps you wanted to try Spain. And if you're interested in traveling in the summer, you might want to consider, if you have the flexibility, going in May or September instead of June, July, and August to leverage just slightly better rates, fewer crowds, and quite frankly, an all-around more pleasant trip. Mm, talking about off-season or shoulder season, during the high seasons, what should we expect this summer? Should we still be expecting cancellation and delays? Is that still, is that still ongoing? Unfortunately, cancellations and delays have just become part and parcel of the overall travel experience. So I think I said last time I joined you to pack your patience, and I absolutely would recommend continuing to do that this season. That said, there are a few things you can do as a traveler to mitigate those delays. I always think picking the earliest possible flight is a great chance to have the most on-time departure, and there are several reasons for that. One, the plane is generally already in the destination from the night before, and so they've already checked that plane, and generally the crew is ready to go. They've made sure there are no mechanical issues. It's also statistically less likely for you to have bad weather, which can often cause delays. And I would also recommend taking the earliest direct flight, if possible, because that stopover just opens up more chance for a problem. Wherever possible, when you are connecting, choose carry-on baggage instead of checking a bag. And wherever possible, pack just that extra day or that extra amount of time in your destination. So if you're going for a wedding that's on a Saturday, maybe come in on Friday morning instead of coming in on Saturday morning. That extra night may seem like an extra expense, but it will prevent you from missing out on those key experiences that you're traveling for. Mm, yeah, great tips as usual. Thank you so much, McLean Robbins. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
She also recommended to directly book at a hotel's website and maybe a reputable third-party provider. But as usual, we just need to stay aware and use our common sense. So if a deal seems too good to be true, don't go for it. You know, that shoulder season concept she mentioned sounds really interesting. Mm. But Evelyn, you've traveled a lot. Where have you been? I don't know if I can list them all out right now, but I, you know, I can tell you where I'm going, going to go later this year. Oh, I'm going yeah? to go home to Germany. Oh, yeah. excellent. <laughs> yeah, what town? Uh, well, I'm from a little town called Tübingen. Oh, okay. But, yeah. Sounds nice. Excited, yeah. yeah. The first thing she asked me, though, was like, have you booked your flights yet? <laughs> so, yeah, flights really expensive this season. Yep, got to get a head start on that. Exactly. Yeah. So right now we're actually going to travel to Arizona where a resident had a wild surprise when they returned home from work this week. They found a bobcat lounging in their dog's bed. They were able to snap a couple photos before it ran away. It's believed the bobcat entered through a doggy door. The dog, whose name is Squeakers, was attacked by the ferocious wildcat. The owner says Squeakers was seriously injured and needs surgery. They set up a GoFundMe page for those who want to help with the bill. In the Arizona Game and Fish Wildlife Game and Fish Department says you should not handle and trap wildlife yourself. They say don't panic if you see a bobcat because they usually don't attack humans, but ones with rabies can attack and you have to fight back if you are attacked. Right, and they say you shouldn't feed the animals because they can become too comfortable with humans. Yes, that is a good point. And you know, I hope Squeakers recover soon. Yeah, exactly. Remember, everybody, not everything French-shaped is friend. Yeah. All right. Yeah, poor That's dog. All. That's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at goodmorning at ntd.com. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.